Friends, please take your Bibles and open to the book of John, the book of John chapter 15. I'll be reading verses 1 through 11, John chapter 15. New Testament Gospel of John chapter 15. If you find the large number 15, that's the chapter heading. And I'll be starting right there at verse 1, reading down to verse 11. This is what Holy Scripture says. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit... He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you noticed our culture's obsession with trying to find the life hack? We're trying to find that secret sauce, that technique, that method, that system, if employed, will change your life forever. It feels like every week there's a new guru, a new gimmick being advertised that's meant to make you a better version of yourself, the best version of yourself. And yet, on closer inspection, we find that these methods and techniques are really just self-help, self-effort, I-can-do-it mantras just repackaged and resold. If we're not careful, we often can bring these same type of mindsets to our Christian life. And we can say to ourselves, all I need to do is buckle down, try harder, and I'll make myself a better Christian. And yet, is that true? Are you the answer to your Christian life? 
is all that is needed is for you to do more, to try more, to be better, and you'll begin to flourish as a Christian. You'll, be, you'll begin to thrive as a believer. Is that what is needed? Is it you? Well, the Lord Jesus had something to say about this in John chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. On the evening on which he would be captured and the next day on which he would be crucified, that night, Jesus spoke to his 11 disciples on this very fact. How does a Christian thrive? We'll find in a gripping analogy out of John chapter 15, 1 to 11, that the answer is neither you nor I. The answer is him. The answer to thriving as a Christian in John 15 is Jesus. It's staying close to Jesus. So go ahead and open your Bible. Turn there. John chapter 15, verses 1 to 11 is where we'll be. Now, John 15 takes place on the night when Jesus will be arrested. And it's part of a group of teachings out of John 13 to 17, known as the Upper Room Discourse. So far that evening, Jesus has washed his disciples' feet. Judas has left to perpetrate his betrayal. Christ has taught on the coming of the Holy Spirit and explained that soon he will return to the Father. And now in chapter 15, he will enter into this parable-like metaphor about branches, vines, and fruit, all with the aim of teaching the lesson that Christ's followers must stay close to him in order to thrive and be fruitful. In the opening three verses, Jesus paints the setting of the metaphor, introducing us to the cast and characters before communicating to us the heart of his message. So look at your Bible. Look at verses 1 to 3 of John 15. See what Jesus says. He begins, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Jesus walks us into God's vineyard, and he introduces us to the first cast member, in contrast to Israel, Old Testament Israel, who's depicted by the prophets as a vine that produced sour grapes, Jesus shows himself here to be the true vine, the one who produces good fruit. And then he introduces us to the second member of the cast. It's God. And God is the vine dresser. God is the one who takes care of the vineyard, of the branches, of the fruit. Now see the last two characters in our metaphor. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. In this vineyard, we're introduced to fruitless branches and fruitful branches. The presence or absence of fruit will determine how the vine dresser, how God will respond, either cutting off the fruitless branch forever or pruning the fruitful branch in order that it would increase its yield. Now, you may be wondering to yourself, which of these branches is the Christian to identify with? And what does this metaphor teach us about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be saved? Well, Jesus clarifies all of this in verse 3. Look at your Bible again, verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Jesus explains that his words which testify to himself as Savior, that it's by means of these words, faith and belief in these words, that the 11 remaining disciples have already been cleansed. 
have already been made to be saved. What this means is that the disciples are already at this moment part of God's family. They're not strangers. They're already authentic followers of Jesus. They're not pretenders like Judas. The point is that this metaphor is not about how to be saved. This metaphor is about how to live now that you are saved. Not about how to be saved, but how to live now that you already are a Christian, already are saved. This is important to understand because an incorrect application of this text will be to say, all I need to do is do everything that's outlined in John 15, 1 to 11, and I'll make myself a Christian. No, no, not at all. The only way a person comes into the kingdom of God is by repentance and faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is a sole means of entering and being a part of God's family, repentance and faith. The disciples had already believed in the words of Jesus that he was the Messiah, and as such, they were already saved. Therefore, to accurately interpret this allegory, we must understand true Christians to be the fruitful branches and false converts to be the fruitless branches. True Christians, the fruitful branches, false converts, false believers to be the fruitless branches. With all of that understood, now look at the crux of the matter in verse 4 of John 15. Look at your Bible, verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This command in verse 4, abide in me, is the main point of this metaphor. This is what Jesus wants to communicate. He says, the basis of Christian fruitfulness, the, great, the basis of Christian flourishing is this, it's abiding in Jesus. It's abiding in Jesus. The word abide means to remain. It means to stay. It means to continue in. Therefore, to abide in Jesus means to remain in Jesus. It means to continue with Jesus. It communicates this sense that we've already been brought near to Jesus by repentance and faith, and now we're to continue to stay near to him. In other words, to abide in Jesus means to live in complete reliance on Jesus. It is to draw all of your resources from Christ the same way a branch draws sap from the vine. To abide in Jesus is the opposite of drifting in your relationship to Christ. To put it succinctly, to abide in Christ means to stay close to Jesus. To abide in Christ means to stay close to Jesus. We could sum up the entire teaching of this passage with this phrase. If I want to thrive as a Christian, I must stay close to Jesus. If I want to be fruitful as a believer, I must abide in Christ. This leads us now to our first principle of thriving as a Christian. It's this, stay close to Jesus because he is your only source of power. Stay close to Jesus because he is your only source of power. See what the Lord says in verse 4. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Christ here makes it clear why he gives this command of abiding, why he gives this command to stay close to him. 
It is because there's no way for you as a Christian to bear fruit other than abiding in Jesus. There is no way you must abide in Jesus in order to bear fruit. You see, Christianity is not about being a better version of yourself. It's about receiving and living the life of Jesus through your body and personality. When you became a Christian, you became supernaturally connected to Jesus by the Holy Spirit. So that it could be said of you that when Jesus Christ died, you likewise died. And that it could be said of you in a deep and mysterious way that when Jesus Christ rose from the grave, you likewise, Christian, experienced a resurrection. The technical term for this is called union with Christ. Union with Christ. You can go and read Romans chapter 6 to learn more about how amazing this reality is. Christ's call to abide in him, to stay close to him, is based on this foundational reality of being united to him. The Christian walk is not a call for you to try harder or be a better version of yourself. It is a call for the old sinful you to be buried in the grave. And to allow the pure and holy life of Jesus to be lived through your body and person. This is, what G, this is what Paul was getting at in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christian flourishing is about staying vitally connected to Jesus. It's all about staying close to Jesus Christ. And in case we were foggy about how necessary this is, Jesus doesn't mince words in verse 5. Look at your Bible, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In no uncertain terms, Jesus says it is impossible to bear fruit as a Christian without staying close to Jesus. Now, your inner skeptic might be wondering to itself, does Jesus really mean nothing? Surely, surely there must be something I can do on my own. There must be some, something that I can add to this, maybe 10%. Surely. And what about my unsaved neighbor who's a nicer person than some Christians I know? Isn't that good fruit in that person's life? Well, friend, there's no hyperbole here. When Jesus says nothing, he means nothing. And we must understand what Jesus is referring to when he speaks about fruit. When he's speaking about fruit, he's speaking about spiritual fruit, about spiritual good, that which can only be produced in the life of a Christian by the grace and spirit of God. Spiritual fruit can be defined as Christ-like conduct and Christ-like character. Spiritual fruit can be defined as this, Christ-like conduct and Christ-like character. The Beatitudes in, on the Sermon on the Mount, like what we've been hearing from Pastor Tim, is a great description of what Christ-like fruit looks like, Christ-like character and conduct. The entire Sermon on the Mount teaches us about this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the merciful, those who let their light shine through good works, those who turn the other cheek. Another great list of an example of what true spiritual fruit looks like is, of course, in the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and the rest. All of this is a picture of what true spiritual fruit looks like, Christ-like conduct, Christ-like character. It is true that a non-Christian may exhibit respectable character and do good things in the eyes of man, but in the eyes of God, this sort of self-generated counterfeit fruit is rotten because it does not come from Christ and is not done to the glory of God. Comparing this counterfeit fruit to true spiritual fruit is like saying one million Ugandan shillings is the same as one million U.S. dollars. While Ugandan shillings have little value in America, counterfeit fruit is completely worthless to God. Thus, brothers and sisters, here is the reason why you must stay close to Jesus. Here is the source of your power. It's Jesus Christ. You have no power in yourself. Brothers and sisters, you and I are empty, but Christ is full. You and I are poor and needy, but Jesus Christ has all the riches of grace in himself. You and I are weak and frail, but Christ is mighty and strong. Therefore, you must go to him for all that you require. You must be near to Jesus in order to gain all that you need, all that you require. Some of you are surrounded by unsaved siblings or parents who despise your faith. How will you bless those who curse you? It's only by staying close to Jesus. Some of you are homeschool parents. And that verse out of Proverbs that says, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, is quickly becoming your life verse. How will you be able to speak words of patience and kindness and life to your dear little one, sister, unless you're abiding, unless you're close to Jesus. It's the only way. You must stay close to Jesus. Some of you are battling reoccurring sin habits of gossip and jealousy. How will you mortify the deeds of the body? How will you put these things to death? It's only by staying close to Jesus Christ. Brothers and, brothers and sisters, we are utterly helpless. We are entirely spiritually bankrupt apart from ourselves. We must stay close to Jesus. He is the only one who can bear fruit through our lives. Thankfully, we're not expected to live this Christian lives, this Christian life by ourselves. See the guarantee of verse 5. Look at your Bible, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. He it is that bears much fruit. Here we see correlation and causation. Every believer has been connected to the life-giving vine. Therefore, any believer, including you, is capable of much fruitfulness. In fact, in God's vineyard, there's no such thing as a fruitless Christian. In God's vineyard, there's no such thing as a fruitless Christian. Every believer will and must bear fruit. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Here Jesus describes the fruitless branch. The person who claims to be a believer yet shows no lasting evidence of Christ-like character 
and Christ-like conduct. Could this be you here today? You claim to be a Christian, but you're just as harsh and angry as you've always been. You serve as an usher, but you're committing secret sin unrepentantly. You've been coming to youth group for numerous years, but you show little knowledge or interest in the things of God. Please understand, every true Christian will bear fruit. The degree of fruitfulness, the degree of flourishing, the degree of thriving will depend on the persons, the the believers abiding, the believers staying close to Jesus. It will vary based on how close a person stays to Jesus. But the total absence of spiritual fruit is a different ball game altogether. The absence of fruit shows that a person has never truly been connected to Jesus and is therefore incapable of abiding in Jesus, of staying close to Jesus. The absence of true spiritual fruit is the absence of true saving faith. Do not ignore your conscience. If your life looks more like the fruitless, withering branch rather than the fruitful, abiding branch, then you are in danger. In this passage, the fruitless branches are thrown into the fire. In the afterlife, false Christians are thrown into the lake of fire. They're thrown into a place of judgment forever. Please, hear the call of Christ. Stop trying to live in your own strength. The best version of yourself will never be good enough for Jesus. It will never be good enough for a perfect and holy God. Instead of your self-effort, run to Jesus. Repent of your sins. Turn away from your evil ways. Believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for your sake. And you too will experience the forgiveness of sins. Turn from your wicked ways and turn to Jesus. And you too will be joined to the life-giving vine. You too will be grafted in. And you will know that fruitful and abundant life which Jesus shows us here in John 15. So far, we've seen in our passage our need for staying close to Jesus. It's because he's our only source of power. Now Jesus, in the remainder of this passage, will show us how to stay close to him, how to remain plugged in to the power source. See if you can spot what this means is, by which this happens, as I read verses 7 to 10. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Do you see it there? It's through the statements, utterances, and commands of Jesus. It's through the word of God. It's by absorbing, praying, and obeying the word of God. This is how we stay close to Jesus. This leads us to our second principle of thriving as a Christian. It's this, stay close 
to Jesus by living a word-centered life. Stay close to Jesus by living a word-centered life. Notice what Jesus says in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Here Jesus describes what it looks like to abide in him, to stay close to him. And he equates staying close to him with staying close to his words. For us today, the words of Jesus have been recorded in the Bible. And because all scripture is breathed out by God, authored by the triune God, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and because all scripture testifies of Christ, Luke 24, this means all of the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, are the words of Christ. In light of this, Jesus communicates to his disciples then and to us now that we are to be people in whom the word of God dwells richly. We're to be people who cherish and harbor the word of God when we read it and when we hear it spoken. What Jesus is showing us here is that a diligent absorption of God's word is one of the key ingredients to staying close to him and thriving as a believer. And yet the problem with us is that so often when we listen to the word preached or read it ourselves, we don't allow it to sink into our hearts and minds. We read the Bible and listen to the word preached the same way a university student reads his accounting textbook with eyes glazed and unable to remember what he studied just an hour earlier. We read it and listen to it, but we have not digested it. We have not absorbed the word. Church, the transformative power of the Bible is unleashed in your life through understanding what it says and meditating upon its implications for you. The power of, the, of God's word, its transformative power is unleashed in your life when you understand what it says and when you meditate upon its implications for you. This is what Paul intended when he said, be transformed by the renewal of your mind in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. You see, brothers and sisters, this is the difference between reading the Bible for a check mark versus reading the Bible for the goal of staying close to Jesus. The first seeks to say, I've read my Bible and I'm done for the day, check mark, while the other seeks to say, I've read my Bible and I've been transformed. The same way you make lemonade by squeezing lemons until you get enough juice out of it is the same way you need to approach the scriptures. Squeeze it, meditate on it, deliberate on it until you get something out of it. I encourage you, train yourself to read the Bible slowly this year. Read with the goal of comprehension. Listen to the preached word intentionally, applying it to yourself. This is how to absorb the word. This is how to stay close to Jesus. The amazing thing is, is if you do this consistently, it will begin to revolutionize your prayers so that now you pray the word, live a word-centered life, absorb the word, now pray the word. Look what else Jesus says in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask, pray, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. See the link between scripture and prayer? The more you're in the word, the more the word is in your prayers. 
teaching you what to pray, how to pray, and making you to desire what God desires, leading you to pray genuinely, God, your will be done. And yet not only in some passive way that says, well, I don't know what's going to happen today, God, your will be done, but more so primarily in an active way, one that pursues the prescribed will of God, one that says, God, the Bible tells me that it's your will that I give, give thanks in all circumstances. Lord, help me to do that even with my recent diabetes diagnosis. God, your will be done. Or in a way that says, God, your Bible tells me that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Lord, help me to be a bold witness in my workplace tomorrow and tell my Muslim co-workers about you. Lord, your will be done. The exciting thing is that when we begin to pray for God's will, by praying God's word, we can have every expectation that our prayers will be answered. Why? Look at verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Here Jesus shows us that it pleases and glorifies God to answer the word-guided prayers of his children. Because inevitably, when you begin to pray the word and pray God's will, you'll begin to pray what matters most to God. You'll begin to pray for spiritual fruit. You'll begin to pray prayers, God, make me more like you. Make me more godly. Make me more holy. Make me to love you more. Make what matters most to you matter most to me. Therefore, people of God, pray the word. Absorb the word. Pray the word. This is how to live a word-centered life. This is how to stay close to Jesus. Pray the word and you will begin to thrive. Likewise, in this text, in this passage, see what Jesus has said. If you've ever had doubts about if you are truly a Christian, see the answer here in verse 8. By this my Father's glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Friend, if you ever doubt whether or not you're truly a Christian, apply this text in your life. Pray to God. Ask the Lord. Ask the Spirit of God to bear fruit in your life. Fruit that would denounce and take away your doubts. This spiritual fruit is the undeniable evidence that will erase your doubts. Therefore, pray the word. Pray the word. So we're seeing we must stay close to Jesus by living a word-centered life, absorb the word, pray the word, and now obey the word. Obey the word. Jesus makes this remarkable comment in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. This is the type of verse you keep in your pocket. This is the type of verse you keep with you at all times that you go back to multiple times in a day, in a week. When you're having a bad day, remember this verse. Jesus says, with all the love of the Father, I love you. Jesus says, on behalf of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I love you. Jesus says, I went to the cross and I rose again for your sake. I love you. Brothers and sisters, never forget this. And Jesus now says, because I love you, stay close to me. 
This is what Jesus is getting at when he says, abide in my love. It's the same thing he said in verse 4, abide in me. And similar to what Jude says in his epistle in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. They're all saying, stay close to Christ. Yet in this verse, Jesus is emphasizing the call to continue experiencing the warmth of his love for you. To continue to experience his warmth, the warmth of his love for you. Jesus says, stay close to me, stay close to my love. And now he'll show us the third ingredient necessary to staying close to him. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. I find this so encouraging. I love the fact that Jesus gives us point by point, step by step, how to stay close to him, how to abide in him, how to remain near to him. He shows us that the same way he stays close to the Father by obeying the Father is the same way we're to stay close to him by obeying him. An army cadet knows that if you want to make, make it as a soldier, you need to listen to your commanding officer. What we're seeing here is that every Christian must know that if you want to thrive as a believer, you must obey the commander of your soul. Obey his word. This is how to live a word-centered life and how to stay close to Jesus. This is nothing new, though. Christianity could rightly be summarized as pledging your allegiance to Jesus as Lord and as Master. This very reality of obedience was embedded within the Great Commission. Go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them, teaching them to observe, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Obedience is not only the hallmark of genuine Christianity, but a vibrant Christianity. Jesus obeyed God, therefore so, so should we. For that reason, brothers and sisters, I encourage you, beware the habit of disobeying God's word. Beware of developing the habit of disobeying God's word. What I mean by this is that we can easily delude ourselves into thinking because we read the Bible and we enjoy it, because we enjoy hearing God's word, and because we even enjoy praying the word of God, that we're okay without ever actually lifting a finger to do what it says. To such people, the Apostle James has something to say in chapter 1, verse 22 of his letter. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. To such people, the Lord Jesus has something to say in Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Many Christians are failing to thrive, and some have proven that they were never saved because of their failure to obey the word. Friend, don't let this be you. Every time you approach the word of God, every time you hear the word of God preached or read it yourself, you should be asking yourself, as a child of God, what does my king require of me? Every time you listen to the word, every time you read the word, you should be asking yourself, as one who has already been saved by grace, what does my master now graciously require of me? And then do it quickly. Whatever the answer is to that question, whatever is revealed to you in the word preached or in the word read, do it quickly. 
Obedience is not only a fruit of abiding, but it is a means of abiding, a means of staying close to Jesus. Therefore, friends, obey the word of God. Absorb the word, pray the word, obey the word of God, and you will thrive. The idea of obeying Christ's commands is admittedly daunting at times. This is a very big book, and there's very many commands in it. So where do you begin? We'll start in the immediate context of this passage. We're to obey all of Christ's commands, but begin with the immediate context of this passage, with the commandment which Christ had in mind as he's speaking these words. And that commandment is to love fellow believers as Jesus has loved us. It's to love fellow believers as Jesus has loved us. It's the same commandment with which Christ established earlier that evening in John 13, 34, which he now reiterates here for us in verse 10, verse 12, and verse 17 of John chapter 15. Look at verse 12 briefly. This is my commandment. He's explaining to us that commandment which he's talking about in verse 10. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you love one another as I have loved you. This is the commandment which Christ has in mind here. And this is the commandment which you should begin with. To love fellow believers as Jesus has loved you. And there's no better place to practice this than within our church. Within this body of believers. Friend, love your fellow believers, love your fellow members eagerly, sacrificially, generously. Are you aware of a couple who's had a newborn and they could use a night off? Why not? Take it upon yourself to volunteer and go and say to them, hey, I'd love to babysit for you. You go and get a night out. I'd love to do this once a month or once every other month. I'd love to just serve you and care for you. Why not take it upon yourself to actively love, to love the same way John said to love in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Do you know of a brother or sister in need? Become creative. Think to yourself, how can I serve? How can I love in action? This is where to begin. Therefore, saints, obey the word. Live a word-centered life. Absorb the word. Pray the word. Obey the word. Jesus is showing us how to thrive as a believer, how to stay close to him. We've learned that he's the only power source. We've learned that it's a life based on adherence to the word of God. And now we'll see briefly the results of all of this. See the purpose statement which Jesus shows us in verse 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This leads us to our final principle of, of, of thriving. Our final principle of thriving. Stay close to Jesus in order to know, in order to experience real joy. Stay close to Jesus in order to experience real joy. Think about what Jesus says in this verse. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus wants you to know his joy. This is a joy which is founded on his intimate fellowship with the Father. A divine, otherworldly, trinitarian joy. 
Jesus wants to share this with you. And so he tells you, stay close to me. Stay close to me. I want to share my joy with you. Therefore, stay close to me. People of God, we really can't do anything apart from Jesus, can we? We can't even truly be happy without Jesus Christ. All the other joys of this life are temporary, fragile, unprotected, and they can be snatched away at any moment. Ultimately, the joys of this life pale in comparison to Christ. True joy, fullness of joy, unrelenting joy, joy inexpressible and filled with glory is found in Christ and the triune God alone. Jesus is concerned about your joy and you should be too. Therefore, commit yourself to staying close to him. Commit yourself to staying close to him and you will know his joy. You will know fullness of joy. Stay close to him. As we conclude, I want you to imagine with me right now, and especially you kids, I want you to imagine with me right now that we lived in a world known as the land of chocolate ice cream. The land of chocolate ice cream. In this world, chocolate ice cream is free. It's available everywhere, at any time, all the time. You can eat as much chocolate ice cream as you want and you'll never get full. You can eat as much chocolate ice cream, and it will make you a person of increasing integrity and love. Yeah, chocolate ice cream has this power in this world. The more chocolate ice cream you eat in this world, the more you become a person of joy, a person of love, a person of true happiness. Now ask yourself this question. In chocolate ice cream world, would you eat a little ice cream every day? Or would you eat as much as you could, possibly could, humanly could, as much as you possibly could? Of course, you would fill yourself with ice cream until the cows come home. You would fill your, yourself with ice cream forever. You would just keep eating ice cream because ice cream is the source of joy. And oh yeah, in this world, no one would charge you with legalism because the more ice cream you ate, the more you glorified God. That sounds like a pretty great and awesome place, doesn't it? And yet, brothers and sisters, we're not commanded to delight ourselves in ice cream. We're commanded to delight ourselves in Christ. We're not called to delight ourselves in the things of this life and this world. We're called to delight ourselves in Jesus. Therefore, I encourage you, brothers and sisters, delight in Jesus to your heart's content. Delight in Jesus to your heart's content. Don't ask yourself, how little abiding can I do and still call myself a Christian? Rather, ask yourself, how joyful do I want to be? How much do I want my character and conduct to reflect Jesus? How much glory to God do I want to bring through my fruitful prayers? How much transformation do I want to experience by absorbing the word? How weak am I without Jesus? Let the answers to these questions lead you to a place of abiding. Let the answers to these questions lead you to a place of staying close to Jesus. And just, how, just watch how fruitful you'll become. Just watch how you'll begin to thrive. Let's pray.
Lord God, we thank you for your word. And we recognize that as you have said, Jesus, that apart from you, we can do nothing. And so we pray. So we ask, Lord Jesus, please help us. May you be to us the treasure of great worth, the pearl of great prize, Lord. Help us. Spirit of God, help us to stay near to you this year. All for your fame and all for your glory, we pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen.